You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 this morning. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14 today. And uh, we said last week that this passage here in Romans may be the most... Uh, maybe the greatest theological passage in all of the Bible, uh, and yet at the same time, it, it may be one of the most difficult uh, passages, uh, in, in especially in Romans, uh, most difficult to understand and, uh, and even difficult to accept, uh, to believe. Uh, and so it's that kind of a, a message. And uh, so as we read the text, we'll pray for God's help Uh, in in doing so. Romans 5 uh, verses 12 through 14 says this, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin was in, in the world before the law, indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help in these times. Um, Illumine our minds by your Spirit within us. You are uh, the infinite God. And in your word are glorious mysteries. And we need your help to understand what you intend for us to understand and then to accept and marvel at the things that we are unable to. Uh, So we pray for that today. Use me, I pray, as your servant that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just as a reminder this morning... uh, Paul is answering the question in this text, how can one man accomplish so much for so many? In other words, how can what Christ did, one man, accomplish so much for so many of us, uh, referring to our our salvation? And uh, so Paul is explaining that, and here in, in verses 12 through 14, Paul begins with comparing and contrasting Jesus, the one man, with another one man who is Adam. And Adam here is an illustration of how one man can affect so many, uh, but in a negative way, uh, whose sin, Adam's sin, has led to the condemnation and death of all people. And so his point is to compare Adam to Jesus in the sense of how one man can affect so many people. So that's what he's trying to do here, verses 12 through 14. You see this because if you're marking in your Bibles, you'll notice the word one. Um, I've counted 13 times uh, in the passage, and uh, the, the emphasis is on the effect Uh, or the impact of one. He's trying to show that. Notice another word, the word reign, R-E-I-G-N, used five times in the passage. Verse 14, he says that death reigned from Adam. Uh, Verse 17, death reigned through that one man. Verse 17, righteousness reigned 
in life through the one man Jesus. Verse 21, sin reigned in death. Verse 21, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. And so you have one man, Adam, and uh, through him, death reigning over the world. Adam reigns over the kingdom of sin and death, in other words. And then you have another one man, Jesus, whose life is reigning as well. Verses 15 through 18, Jesus reigns over the kingdom of righteousness and life. And, and in ways, he says, <clears throat> much more, that is, much greater than then uh, the results of Adam, the actions and results of Jesus are, are greater. And so this morning, we're looking at verses 12 through 14, and we're talking about Adam and the reign of death, uh, which sounds like an awful depressing topic to come uh, to, to talk about this morning, but it is in the Word, and uh, it tells us some important things, really laying a great groundwork, an important groundwork for our understanding about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about what's wrong in our world today, why there's so much going uh, off the tracks, why there's so much wrong in us, in, in me, and, and, and how do we get to, to this place. And so Paul is laying out to us in, in, in this passage how this happens. So just four truths. And you notice them phrase by phrase. There's not a lot of creativity in the outline today. Um, you can probably already fill in the blanks uh, and maybe take a nap, but I hope that you won't. Um, first, verse 12, sin came into the world through one man. That's what he says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, he doesn't mention Adam there, but we know from verse 14 that's who he's talking about, the sin, and the sin that he's referring to there is the sin that took place in the Garden of Eden. Uh, so, if you, if you look back over Genesis uh, for a moment, not hard to find, all the way to the left, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, you see the story of that, just to recap, uh, because it is important. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, God gave uh, Adam the, this command. He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? You'll die. It's the only command that God gave him. And you think about how, I mean, that would, that would be really nice, just one command. And, 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 it, and, and also, it's a reminder of that one command was a reminder to Adam of God's authority over him. Just one command, but God is over Adam. He's over mankind. Man is under God. And, and the consequence of breaking that one commandment was, you shall surely die. Well, then we look in chapter 3, and we're introduced to the serpent who is Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's a tactic that we see continue to play out in our own lives today. Did God really say that? Did he really say what he said in his word? Did he really mean that? Satan calls into question God's word. And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. How, how was sin introduced into the world? This is the explanation that Paul is referring to. Eve was deceived, it says, but Adam willfully sinned. And, and, and you notice there was an immediate change in them, which is a change that is marked from this point forward through all of mankind. They're self-conscious. They're embarrassed. They're trying to cover themselves. Verse 8, they're hiding from God. Verses 14 and following, God finds them. He curses them. He curses their marriage. He curses their lives. He curses them individually. And now here's what Paul is saying in Romans 5. Verse 12, he's saying that when Adam sinned, being the, the first of God's creation, the head of the human race, the representative of all humanity, that when he sinned, Paul says that sin entered into humanity from that point on. It's like a disease, like a sickness, like a cancer. Well, we might say it like this, when Adam sinned, humanity sinned. Notice he says in verse 12, therefore just as sin, and notice it's singular, sin came into the world through one man. Through Adam's sin, he is saying, this sinful nature now lives in all of humanity. From this point on, every descendant of Adam, that is every descendant in the world, was brought forth in sin. David in the Psalms, later expressed this in Psalm 51.5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Sinful from his very birth. This is a doctrine that is called original sin. Man is not born neutral before God. Man is born with a sinful nature that he has been passed on to him from Adam. This is also why it's important, by the way, we'll celebrate not too long from now, that Jesus was born of a virgin. And why that belief is so important, because otherwise Jesus would have born, been born of Adam and it, inheriting his sinful nature, but he wasn't. He was born of a virgin. It's difficult to understand this. It's difficult in many ways to accept this, partly because we're such an individualistic culture and we're told so often that everything revolves around me, me, me. And, and we're focused in that way. Our pride struggles with this, the thought that we could possibly share in Adam's sin. That, that, that we're sinful because of what he did. And yet this is precisely what the Bible teaches of us. Kent Hughes rightly points this out. People in Bible times understood that the human race has a corporate solidarity with Adam, in Adam. Thus, all of mankind was, listen closely, all of mankind was present, 
with Adam and actually sinned in Adam. Adam was not merely a representative for mankind, showing what we would do if we had the same temptation. We were Adam, as F.F. Bruce says, and as Adam, we sinned. So, So this is the biblical position. Adam is acting as mankind in the garden. He is acting as the head. He is acting, uh, in a sense, on our behalf. He's not acting as a man, but as man. In fact, his very name, Adam, means humankind. He's a representative of the human race, uh, of all of us. And in him, the Bible says, we are sinful. We're sinful. Now, I don't uh, like to chase rabbits in, in preaching too much, but it's important to chase a little one here Uh, And I plan for it so we won't get too far off track. But it's obvious here, isn't it, that Paul believed that Genesis 1 through 3 was literal history, doesn't it? And that he believed that Adam was a literal man, the first man, a historical person. And so Adam is the one man Paul presents here is just as real as the other one man, Jesus Christ, whom we believe. Lloyd-Jones was exactly right when he said this. He said, reject a literal Adam and the whole of the Christian message collapses. You cannot play fast and loose with the Bible, he says. It is a consistent whole. Each part is intertwined with all of the others. He's he's exactly right. You can't have a Christianity with just a red-letter Bible. You can't have a Bible... Uh, 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 that, that you don't believe in Genesis 1 through 3, a Bible that tries to leave Paul out because you don't like what he's saying or any other things like that. It's all connected together, you see. And if Jesus is the second Adam, there was a first Adam. And Paul says he brought sin into the world, into every human being after him. Universal sinfulness. But notice, secondly, it says, death came into the world through sin. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, here's what also happened. Death came into the world through sin. And that's not a surprise, is it? It's not a shock at all because of what we already said, because God promised Adam that, didn't he? Genesis 2, 17, he says, for in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely, you already said it once, die. He's already told him. Uh, Lawson notes here that sin is cosmic treason against God, and it always brings the death penalty. Ezekiel chapter 18.4 says, the soul who sins shall die. Paul will say later on this verse, we know well, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. One of the reasons we know that sin came into the world today and that it reigns in the world today is the presence of death. It's all around us. Death is not natural. We're not living in the, uh, we're not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We live in the land of the dying. And a land where death rules over us, or as Paul says here, it reigns, death reigns 
over us. And the evidence is all around us, isn't it? You don't have to look very hard to find it. We're, we're deaf. People have died. This, just, just this past week and last couple of weeks, people have died. Lots of people have died for all different kinds of reasons. Old people have died. Young people have died. Some kids have died uh, in, in the country. All, all over the place, there's been death. Why? Why is this so? Just as Adam was the door through which sin entered, sin was the door through which death entered our world. Why is there death? The reason there's death is because there's sin. When, when Adam sinned, death became a part of our world. Death is unnatural, you, you understand. It's traumatic, it's ugly, it's painful, it's hard. We, we grieve. Death came as a penalty for sin. Sin and death go together in the Bible. Now notice again how Paul uses the word sin, and it's singular. He's referring again to the sinful nature that we've inherited from Adam. And so if you think very critically about this, we know this, sadly, we know this is true, the sinful nature, because even babies die. A little baby is not capable of committing an act of sin. They're not capable of stealing in infancy or unbelief. Uh, in, in Christ, uh, or lying, or whatever. But sometimes babies, tragically, sometimes they die. Why? Because they've inherited a sinful nature from birth, from, con from conception, from their beginning. This is what Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. It's difficult, again, for us to accept this. But, but this is not just Paul. This is our Lord Jesus who taught these things. Jesus taught in Mark 7 that it was out of the heart of man that evil comes. Mark 7, 21, from, for from within, Jesus says, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, he said, and they defile a person. You, you and I are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We have a sinful nature. And through one man's sin, we've become sinners, and therefore death reigns in us, and it's inescapable. That's why this, the, the world in which we live. And MacArthur explains three kinds of death that are taught in the Bible. Maybe these will be helpful to us. First of all, there's spiritual death. Someone may ask the question, when Adam sinned, how come he didn't die immediately? And the answer to that is that he did. He did spiritually. He died immediately. Uh, death is separation, MacArthur writes. Physical death is separation from the living. Spiritual death is separation from the living God. In that moment, he died spiritually. This is what Paul writes when he says in Ephesians 2, 1, you, you and I, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What does he mean? We were dead spiritually. Separated from God, not having any life in us. But then there's physical death. We understand this. This is... Uh, this is part of the curse of sin. We're living in the land of the dying, not the living. But then third, there's eternal death. And eternal death is eternal separation from the living God. Total separation from the presence of God. It's an eternal state of dying, separated from God forever in hell. 
Now, our, our world would lead us to believe today that we should be a whole lot more concerned with physical death than we should be with spiritual and eternal death. That we, we should live afraid of everything and be afraid and terrified of dying. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, Do not fear those who can kill the body, that is physical death, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him, that is God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is why we as Christians no longer have to fear death, amen? Because to live is Christ and to die is His gain. But, but, but because when you have Christ, you have His spiritual life living in you. And when you have Christ, you have eternal life living in you. Therefore, you do not have to fear physical death. Death is the doorway to get to Jesus and eternity with Him. But apart from Him, there's only death. This is what Paul is saying, that when Adam sinned, his sinful nature entered the rest of the, his descendants after him, the world, and therefore we are all headed toward dead. We come into this world dead spiritually. We will one day die physically, and we will face eternal death. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Notice third, death spread to all men because all sinned. That's the third thing he says. Death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, this is where the difficulty comes in today. And in fact, this may be, as I've been reading, this may be the most difficult phrase in all of Romans. And it's the phrase, because all sinned. All sinned. What does that mean? The verb there is a single action. Again, it's something that's been done. It's already completed. So in other words, here's what Paul seems to be saying. When Adam sinned, we didn't just receive his sinful nature, but when Adam sinned, we sinned with him. That's hard to get your mind around, isn't it? Because I, I, would, I would say, like, well, I wasn't there with Adam. I I, I mean, how, how, how could I have sinned? I wasn't there, but the Bible says we were there. We were there in Adam. It's not just that Adam has passed on his sinful nature to us. It's that we too sinned when Adam was in the garden. Now, Paul knows this is a difficult statement, so you'll notice the hyphen. That's why that hyphen is there in the text and why he tries to, why he explains this. And so if you're, again, writing in your Bible and taking notes, you may want to put a parenthesis around verses 13 and 14 because it's like, here's the explanation. It's not complete, but at least it's some explanation of what Paul is saying. He knows it's going to be questioned. And, and so he, he first notes, verses 13 and 14, very briefly, verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. What is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the law of Moses, right? And, and we don't have to be too much of a biblical scholar to know that Moses uh, received from God the Ten Commandments. And we know that in the time of Adam, Moses was not yet. It would be some period of time before Moses came and received the law of God. Secondly, he says, verse 13, but sin is not counted where there is no law. What is he saying? He's saying if, if, there's, if there's no law, if the law didn't come till later with Moses, there was no law to break. Adam received how many commands? One in the garden. 
And then he's expelled from the garden. And then what other laws are there to break? How will you know what sin is if there's no law? Third, Paul says in verse 14, here's the reality, he says, yet death reigned. Well, how does that make any sense? If there was only one command and Adam broke it and there's not any other laws that, that are in this time, then how do we know what sin is? And, 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 and yet death reigned. So you have this period of time from Adam and Moses where there is no law and yet death reigns. They're not dying because they broke a law of God because there wasn't any. Why are they dying? Why is death reigning? Paul says. It's because when Adam sinned, we sin too. Universal death attributed to a single solitary sin of Adam. Verse 14, or 15 clarifies it a little more. He says, many died, notice the phrase, many died through one man's trespass. That's hard. That's difficult. Listen, uh, Lloyd-Jones, once again on this. Adam's sin, listen to the language of how he says this. It's important. Adam's sin is imputed to us, counted to us. Remember that word when we talked about righteousness being imputed? Adam's sin is imputed to us in exactly the same way that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you in salvation. And we like that concept, Amen. I mean, we know, we understand, we can't be saved ourselves. It's only the righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift. But notice, he says, Adam's sin was imputed to us in the same way. We inherit, he goes on, of course, a sinful nature from Adam, but that is not what condemns us ultimately. What condemns us and makes us subject to death is the fact that we have all sinned in Adam. And what condemns us, is, or excuse me, and that we are all held guilty of sin. It is our union with Adam that accounts for all of our troubles, indeed. And it is our corresponding union with Christ that accounts for our salvation. So it leads us right back to why I, I tried to begin last week with the importance of are you in union with Adam or in union with Christ? Because it's a usually important question, isn't it? If you're struggling to accept the fact that you are a sinner, you are sinful, you're, you are the fact that in Adam's sin, you sinned, and you're struggling to receive that, how will you ever accept the fact that Christ lived and died and rose again for you, and that His righteousness has been imputed to you in salvation? How is this possible? How would it be possible to believe that? You, you and I were not at the cross. Was anybody here at the cross? You didn't die on the cross. You didn't rise again. Uh, for, you weren't put in the tomb for three days. You didn't rise again. It was not you. But if you're a Christian, I think it, many are today in this room, if you're a Christian, you gladly accept the fact that in a spiritual sense, even a miraculous sense, that as we stand and sing and worship today, that this is exactly what happened. Christ lived in our place. He died in our place. He rose again in our place. We were with him. This is what Paul is going to flesh out more for us in Romans 6 when he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized 
into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. His death was your death. We were buried, therefore, it says, with him. Did you know this? You were buried with him. By baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, through our being in Christ, His righteousness has been counted to us. And the more that we understand and accept the fact that Adam's sin was imputed to us, counted to us, the more we understand the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. He's given us His righteousness. That though we were in Adam, and all of these things were true about us, sin and death and condemnation, we are now in Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Sometimes we sing the old hymn, Uh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? You know, we were there. But we were also in the garden. We were there too. We were with Adam in the garden, and his sin is our sin. Now, immediately our culture says, well, that's just not fair. This is not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to be a part of this. I didn't ask to be born into sin. Well, if if that's so, let me ask you, is it fair that you should be able to go to heaven when you did nothing to earn it, deserve it, or secure it for yourself? Is that fair? Is it fair that someone else paid the price for your sins so that you could have grace? One more quote from MacArthur. He says, you don't want to be a sinner when somebody else sinned, but you sure don't mind getting saved when someone else paid the penalty for your sin. This is why Paul's argument is so masterful, because if you think it was unfair and inappropriate for God to make Adam our representative and hold all of us accountable because of what he did in the garden, his condemnation, his, his death, all of these things, if you find that terribly hard to believe and hard to accept, how will you ever accept and believe that Christ is your representative right now? Church, he is your only standing for salvation. He is your only hope. You you cannot earn this. You cannot work your way into this. You cannot do enough good works. He is your only hope for salvation in Christ. That's why it comes down to what we asked last week. Are you in Adam or in Christ? Is Adam your representative before God today? If you go and stand before heaven and say, Adam is my representative, there will be nothing but condemnation. And judgment. It is only when we can say, I am in Christ, and He in me. That's my only hope. That may be hard to understand. It may be hard to accept. It may be hard to agree with, but, but faith means that we believe what we cannot understand, and that we accept this as the Word of God just like we accepted in verses 6 through 8, that while we were weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. How much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by His life? Paul said, no wonder 
He said in verse 11 that we rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you standing today in Adam? Or are you standing today in Christ? That's our question. Father, I pray that all of us here today would be able to say that we are in Christ. That we recognize and accept wholeheartedly that that in Adam we, we all have inherited his sinful nature and even the actions, sinful actions that would make us to be to stand before you as guilty and condemned, but praise God that we have a mediator. We have one who came to reconcile us, to reconcile us to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, one man. How can one man do this? We are so thankful for the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And may our hope be firmly planted in him alone, for all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.